0: So um, a daughter came in to see her dad, and she was complaining. She said, you know, my life is miserable right now. Everything that can possibly go wrong goes wrong. Every time I solve one problem, there's another problem that comes up. I'm just so over it, I can't take it anymore. So the dad, who was a chef, takes her into the kitchen. And he puts three pots on the stove and starts to boil water on the stove. And then he takes some potatoes and he puts them in the first pot. And he grabs some eggs and then he puts them in the second boiling pot of water. And then he the third pot he takes some ground coffee beans and he puts them in the third pot. And he just lets them boil and he just sits there without saying a word to his daughter. Well his daughter's getting a little impatient, a little whining going on in the corner. What's he doing? What's happening? And about 20 minutes later, you know, he turns off all the pots and he takes out the potatoes and takes out the egg and pours the coffee into a cup. And he says, What do you see? And she said, Potatoes, eggs, and coffee, Dad. I don't know. What do, what do, you, what do you want me to see? And he said, Well, the potatoes, the eggs, and the coffee, they all faced the same adversity the boiling water. But you'll notice that they all changed when faced with the adversity the potato went in hard and strong but in the boiling water it became soft and weak and the egg went in all fragile but the boiling water turned it hard but see the ground coffee beans they were unique when they were exposed to the boiling water they changed the water and created something new He said to her, which one are you? When adversity knocks on your door, are you a potato, an egg, or a coffee bean? You know, I've heard it said that life is 10% about what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. You've heard that? I don't know, though, because the last year I felt like it's more like 90% happening to me and only allowing me 10% to react. Anybody feeling that? I mean, I just, I'm not sure if we've ever lived in a time with so much disappointment and just undue stress. I mean, if it's not the economy, it's inflation and it's gas prices and it's, you know, trying to dodge some crazy flu that's going around and then it's causing, you know, marriage problems because the business is struggling and then there's financial issues and then you're just trying to stay safe and while your rights are being stripped away, it's just like, what else can you possibly take? What else could go wrong? And, you know, you start to, if you're, you know, human with this, you start to say, what else? what else can possibly go wrong? I don't know if you've ever found yourself saying that. I found myself going, what else can possibly go wrong? And I found out the next day, more stuff could go wrong. (laughs) So I stopped saying that. I stopped tempting the devil to have any control in my life. Because kind of that's what you're doing with that statement. You're tempting the devil to have control. But you know, in, in being... In being vulnerable, um, I've had to walk through a season of disappointments. And, and you know, I'm not one to think that, think that life is supposed to be a bed of roses. I'm not naive. I get it. You know, Jesus didn't promise us a bed of roses. I get it. Uh, I, I expect things. But I think the the gravity of the disappointments that I've had to deal with, you know, from from really deep, deep betrayals and... And seemingly unanswered prayers to to delays, just delays, you know, which if you're human, it leaves you feeling disappointed, you know, kind of in your heart disappointed. And, you know, if you're trusting the Lord with your life and, and you really are trusting him with everything, sometimes in the depths of it all, you can turn that disappointment onto him, which is a a scary place to be because, you know, we're only human and we want someone to blame. And even though we know it's so wrong, we're not supposed to do that, sometimes we find ourselves doing it because I just want somebody else to take the blame for this. Somebody needs to be able to blame. And then you're in a worse situation because now you're in in the sin of unbelief. So what do we do? How are we supposed to survive these storms? How are we supposed to come out stronger? How are we not supposed to just get through what we're going through, but how are we actually supposed to thrive? Is that possible? To thrive in what the world and life is throwing at us right now? How do we lean in when all we want to do is run? How do we lean into God when all we want to do is run? So let's look at David. I'm going to take you through David's life a little bit just so you you can follow along, uh, so you understand. I mean, I know many of you know David's story, but I'm just going to kind of give it a little more detail because maybe you've, you've forgotten some of the story. You know, it says David was a man after God's own heart, and it started when he was a young boy. He was shepherding his dad's flock, and he was out in the fields, and he would praise and worship the Lord. And you know, that actually wasn't done at that time. He crossed over a barrier because back then, the only way you encountered God's presence was through sacrifice, and the priests were the ones who who did that. But David found a way to minister to the Lord through praise and worship where God's presence came and visited with him. Again, this was an unusual thing at the time, but he he learned this. And uh, Jesse, uh, sorry, Jesse, Jesse's his dad. Uh, Samuel at the time was the prophet, and God tells Samuel, go and anoint the next king, because Saul was king at the time. And he says, go and anoint uh, one of Jesse's sons as the, as the king. And so Jesse gets to his house, and he calls in his sons. And he, called, he had eight sons, but he only calls in seven of them. David's out in the field. He thinks so little of his son that he doesn't even call him in when the prophet comes to anoint. It can't possibly be David, is what his dad is thinking rejection right so he finally calls david in because jesse says it's none of these boys david comes in he says yes this is the one god's chosen and he anoints his head with oil as he anoints him as the next king at the time he's like 15 years old okay the next scene skip ahead he's in the king saul king saul's court and he's playing his harp and he's befriending Saul's son, Jonathan. They become best friends. And it seems like things are going well. And then the next minute, he kills Goliath. Things are going really well, right? Couldn't be better. And everything is well, and he's becoming this fierce warrior. And all was well until the women out on the streets started to cheer and shout and sing a song. And the song was, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And Saul got so jealous and so mad. If you read it, it's kind of a crazy story. He picks up his spear and he throws it at David. Okay. David like dives out the way and Saul is so furious with jealousy. He's going to come after David. He wants to kill David. So now David has to leave. He has to leave his family. He has to leave Saul's household and he has to run. And so he goes to another little city in Israel and he's hiding out there. And then, He he starts to hear that people that Saul's coming after him. And he's like, Great. He's like, and so he prays. He's like, God, are these people that I'm staying with? Are they gonna turn me over? Are they gonna give me up to Saul? And God's like, Yep, they are. He's like, Great, I gotta leave Israel now. I'm I'm leaving Saul's house, my family's house. Now I gotta leave my home country. God's like, yep. So he leaves his home country and he goes, the only place left, he goes to the enemy, he goes to the Philistines. And he goes and lives with them. Short story, made even longer. He they give him a town called Ziglag. And during this time, David builds up his own little warrior of men, these mighty men. And th- basically these men were like the misfits and the the you know the, the the rejects of society that nobody really wanted. And he brings them in and he trains them and they become some of the fierce, most Uh, uh, recognized warriors of the time, all right? There's about 600 of these men, and they all live in Ziglag, and they're fighting for the Philistines until the day comes where the Philistines are now going to fight Israel, and they see David's army, and they're like, wait a minute. The prince of the Philistines are like, wait a minute. That's David. He's crowned to be he's anointed to be king of of Israel he's not going to fight with us he's going to he's going to change his mind halfway through this battle and and kill us so no 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 no, we don't want him helping us send him away David's like what is happening right now so he gets he gets sent away from the Philistines. they say go go back to your village go away so the philistines reject him you know it's a bad day when you get rejected by the devil You know, so if you can imagine, here's David and these 600 mighty men, and they're on their way back to Ziglag. And as they come over the mountaintop, they see their home, and it's up in flames. Smoke going up, because it's been raided. And as they get there, they realize all their women and all their children, all their belongings are gone. And they know the people that took them, because those people are known for killing women and children. They don't know. We know in the story that they hadn't killed them yet, but they don't know. Now they're standing in this town. It's full of smoke and fire and everything is gone, including their women and children. And this is where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and and verse 3. It says, when David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. I've been there. You ever been there? Not that your family was taken or burned, but have you ever cried so much until you literally felt like you had no strength left in you to cry? Can you imagine these mighty men? This is how they're grieving. They're so, so in so much pain. But, you know, if you read the story, what happens next these men begin to turn on David and they want to stone David. These are his warriors. These are the people that David has taken in and cared for this whole time. But because of the pain and the grief they are feeling, they want to stone David. I mean, yesterday they were like, you're our King. You're our King. Tomorrow. It's like stone him, stone him. Like what, what is wrong with people? Right? But you know, you've heard the expression, hurt people, hurt people. Here's a tip for you. Never make an important decision while you're grieving. So David was rejected by his family. He's rejected by Saul's household. He's rejected by the whole of Israel. He's rejected by the Philistines. Now, on top of the fact that his family, his wives, and his children are taken, now he's being rejected by the very men he's poured his life into. He's like, what is happening? David was supposed to be king. His destiny is to be king. Not outcast, hated, hunted, devastated. But see, you can't always see destiny in the face of disappointment. So what do you do? What do you do when you face the greatest disappointment you've ever faced in your entire life? What do you do when you face the disappointment that's gonna break the camel's back because I can't take one more? What do you do? What did David do? First Samuel 30 verse six, it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, he's God. Can we put up first Samuel 30, verse six, please? Do we have that? No, no, we don't. Moving on. So he strengthened and encouraged himself in the Lord. He strengthened and encouraged himself in the Lord. What does that even look like to say he strengthened and he encouraged himself? We know we read some scripture sometimes and we gloss over it because we're like, yep, he strengthened himself in the Lord. I mean, you understand the gravity of where he's at. What does it mean? How can you strengthen yourself? Well, David wrote so many of the Psalms. And if you read some of the Psalms, you hear his heart in what's going on. In Psalms 42, verse 11, it says this. He says, why am I so discouraged? He actually says, soul, why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever said, oh my goodness, I can't." you can feel your heart beating in you. It's just like, I can't take any more. He's pouring himself out, but he, what is the next line he says? He says, but I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. Psalms 28 verse 7, he says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts him and he helps me. See what he's doing in the midst of his pain, he begins to remind himself of who God is and what God has done and how he is the savior and how he is the refuge and how he is the helper. Right in the midst of it, he's reminding himself that the hope and the strength comes from God. So when you face the great disappointments, when you face the the things that you're going through, what you do is you you put aside maybe your daily devotional reading, whatever you're reading at the moment, and you find a scripture that speaks to you. If you need faith, you go to Hebrews chapter 11 and you just read it and read it and read it until that faith begins to build. Or if you you need a resurrection, go read John 11 and read that Lazarus resurrection. If you need something to come back to life in in, in your life, Or maybe it's a sermon and you just put it on repeat, put it on repeat, and you play it and you play it until you sense the breakthrough come. You play it, you read it, you read it until your faith gets you up off the floor. That's what it means to lean in when you want to run. That's what it means to hold on to God when you want to let go and run away. See, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We love saying that. The joy of the Lord is his strength. <laughs> I'm sure there's a song for that. But have you ever spent time with somebody, like maybe you've got that favorite person in your life or your best friend or whatever. And, and when you're with them, you just laugh. You have such a great time. They just feed into your life. And when you leave them, you just feel so good. You know that, that feeling? Well, you can have that with God times like a thousand. Because it's in his presence, the joy is found. It's in his presence, it's being with him. He does a work in you and he strengthens you and he gives you this joy and it becomes a strength that you can hold on to to get through what you're facing. You have to lean into him. Listen to what David says in Psalm chapter 27 and verse 13. I would have lost heart unless I had believed. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you're like, man, I'm so close to losing heart. I'm so close to giving up. He says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Look, we all know we're going to see the goodness of God in heaven, right? We know it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great, but I want to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, here and now. That's your confession, God. I believe I'm going to see it here and now, your goodness. And how does he say? What do we? What is the next thing he says? Verse 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. What does waiting on the Lord do? It strengthens your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, you know, you read that scripture, you're like, waiting on the Lord. I'm good at that. I don't think he means relaxing on your sofa, okay? That's not waiting on, I'm waiting on you, Jesus. No, that's not waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord, it's, it's waiting in faith. Have you ever been a waitress or a waiter where you've had to like wait on people? And what do you do? You're serving them. What do you need? What do you need? I'm here for you. Can I help you? Well, I believe that's what it looks like to wait on the Lord. The way we do it, In thanksgiving and worship. So in the middle of everything going on, you choose to say, I'm going to raise a hallelujah right now, God. I'm going to tell you how good you are. I'm going to tell you how faithful you are. No matter what around me is going on, I'm going to worship you and thank you and praise you in the midst of it all. I'm going to worship you and I'm going to wait on you. That's what it means to wait on him. It means to wait On the Lord in faith. Now, you know, there's a there's a lot of reasons why bad things happen. We get that. And we know more than David did because we've got Jesus' words. Now we have the New Testament. And Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. See, God has a plan for your life. The devil has a scheme. And the devil's scheme is to knock you out of God's plan. And the devil doesn't fight fair, and he doesn't fight clean. I don't know you're thinking, man, this Christian life is rough. But guess what? You weren't any safer as a, when you weren't a believer. The Bible actually says you were his slave. Slavery is bad, people. Slavery is horrible. <clears throat> but now that you're a believer, guess what? You're his target. So recognize where these attacks are coming from. But just because people hurt you or disappoint you or let you down, don't begin to think that God will do the same. Never project the nature of man onto the character of God because our God is good. Our God is faithful. Our God is always loving. He is always going to come through. He is always more loving than you could possibly imagine. Because He is always good. And that's who we serve. And you know, we have the scriptures to remind us. That's why it's so important for you to read your Bible because in the scriptures it encourages you. You read these scriptures and you see all of these marvelous works and all of these marvelous ways and all the promises that are in there for you. And you know that's the next thing the enemy comes for. Satan's MO is to steal the word from you. That's his MO. What he does is he hits you so hard to knock you out of God's plan. And while you're down in disappointment, he comes to steal the promises that God's put in your heart. You read God wants you healed. You're like, yes, I believe in healing. Boom, he hits you with sickness. When you're down, he hits you. What are you going to believe? Are you going to trust God still? He's trying to steal that word that you planted in you you trust trusting God for your finance, so you give. Boom, you get some flat tire. Now you're out an expense. He's coming with the disappointment right after the disappointment to steal the word from you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to steal it. He wants to twist the word so that it becomes powerless in your life. You know why it becomes powerless? Because you no longer believe the character of God to be good. Once you start doubting the character of God, it won't work in your life. See, faith only works when you believe him to be good. That's, listen, what do I mean? Here, we serve an awesome God whose autobiography is is filled with the miraculous and the powerful and and the signs and wonders and all these awesome things God does for us, right? Right? And you start off and you're like, "Yay, yeah, I believe all of that. God's supernatural and powerful and miracles." And you and you start off believing it, but then life comes along and hits you. You know, and maybe your family member didn't get healed, or your finances still haven't turned around, or that relationship did end. And now what happens is your heart Your capacity, let's say it this way, your capacity to believe the impossible shrinks because your heart is disappointed and your heart begins to doubt the character of God and these things without even realizing it. Without even realizing it, your, your, your capacity to believe the impossible is shrinking inside of you. And God is the God of the impossible, isn't he? And what you do is you say, well, since it didn't work for you, perhaps it doesn't work. You've seen that, right? We've been there. Well, if they couldn't get it with all the faith that they have, it's obviously not going to work for me. Why bother even trying? Right? We do that. We compare. We look at other people's lives without even knowing it. And what's happening is when, you, when your circumstances and your perceived reality affect what you believe, you ever so slightly change your theology in your heart without even realizing it, you've limited God. Because of what you're seeing around you, you don't realize, but you're changing what you believe just a little bit. And by doing that, you've limited God. And now you're stuck in a vicious cycle because you're stuck in a cycle where more prayers aren't answered. More things are going wrong because your faith has been quenched. You don't realize it. But faith can only function when you know him to be good. So what do you do? What do you do when the devil hits you so hard and you're down and you're dealing with the disappointment? And he's trying to steal that promise God put in your heart. Whether it's the scripture, whether it's a prophetic word. In that moment, you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be thankful for everything God has done. I'm going to force my mind right now and my lips to be thankful, to give him glory for everything he's done. And if I've got nothing else that I can see to be thankful for, I know he gave me Jesus. He gave his only son to die on the cross for me, a brutal death so that I could go and spend eternity with him. So I'm going to thank him for that. I'm going to thank him for raising Jesus from the dead and giving me the Holy Spirit who never leaves me and never forsakes me and never gives up on me because that's the thing. The enemy wants to tell you, you're all alone. Seriously, with everything going on in your life, do you really think God is with you? But the presence of trouble does not mean the absence of God. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. You know, there's a story, well, a, a, a story of scripture in, in Deuteronomy, and it's Moses. And Moses is, Moses is delivering his farewell speech. He's about to die, and, he, and he's giving this farewell speech to the people. And he's in the process of telling them, Hey, you know what? God is magnificent, and he's powerful, and he's, he's a winner, and he's victorious. And kind of right in the middle of it, he kind of switches gears a little bit. And it's like he wants to remind them that, look, God is always with you, but life isn't always going to be easy. And he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 27. He says, the eternal God is your refuge. You know what a refuge is? Refuge is like when the hurricane's coming. And they're like, Take refuge. It means to take shelter. So when the storm's coming, take shelter. So what he's saying is, there are gonna be storms that come, but God will be your shelter. But the next line, he says this, and underneath are his everlasting arms. You know, the, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for underneath can be translated at the bottom. Moses is reminding us that, yes, God is with you on the good days. But he is also at the bottom. When you think... You can't fall any further down. You can't get knocked down anymore. You're at the bottom. You're the furthest down you could possibly go. He's letting you know that at the bottom are God's everlasting arms. Underneath you are His arms. Underneath my family. Underneath my business. Underneath my ministry. Underneath it all are His everlasting arms. At the bottom are God's arms. He is there. He is not just Lord of the mountains, but he is Lord of the valley. And you can trust him. See, this is what you preach to yourself. This is how you lean into God when you want to run. You preach to yourself. God, I know you at the top in the mountains with me, but I know you're here in the valley with me now, holding me at the bottom. So what does David do next? 1 Samuel 30 verse 7 Then he said to the priest, bring me the ephod. So the priest brought it. Then David asked the Lord, shall I chase after these band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them, for you shall surely overtake them. And without fail, recover all. So what is an ephod? I've got a picture of it for you. The ephod is what the priests would wear when they were talking to God. It's that little jeweled box. I have another picture for you. They would put over them, and it had the 12 tribes of Israel, the stone representing each tribe. Uh, you know, in the old, you, know, you could imagine being like, okay, that's your telephone. When you pick it up, you get to talk to God. But um, it, in the Old Testament, only the priests were allowed to use it, the high priests. And we know David wasn't a priest. David was anointed king. He was a prophet. But he managed to step over into that priestly uh, anointing through faith and grace. There's so much symbolism there. Again, it reminds us of who we are in the New Testament. I don't have time to go into it. But what happens is David wants to speak to God directly. He needs a word from God, and he doesn't want anybody to get in the way. He wants to hear it from God himself. Notice David didn't go to his friends or his family for an answer. He didn't go to social media looking for an answer. He's like, no, I need to hear from God. I need an answer from the Lord. I need a word from the Lord. God, my flesh wants to run off to these people. I want to kill them. I want to take them. But you know what, God, I'm not going to move if your Holy Spirit's not going with me. If your Holy Spirit's not leading me in this battle, I don't want to go. I'll do whatever you tell me to do we got to get to that place where you don't rely always on the pastor or a friend for a word from God. But you're like, God, I want to hear it for myself. And guess, God, guess what? God wants to talk to you more than you want to hear it. He wants to give you guidance. He wants to give you help. He wants to, but he needs you to lean in and want to hear his voice above any other voice. Will you trust to do what he says above what your flesh wants? See, David had a problem in the natural, but he started his answer in the spirit. So many times, especially men, you've got so many skills. I can figure it out. I can do it. I can make the money. I can bring it in. I can fix this. But see, David was a very accomplished man, but he knew. He knew by his own strength, I could probably take those men. But I need to know what God wants. I need to hear hear a word from the Lord. Men, I challenge you to be that leader in your house that says we've got a decision let's go pray about it first yeah. and i don't mean religiously like i'm like a go pray about it no i mean like seriously let's go pray about it until we get an answer from the lord because what seems right may be not the way that god wants to take you and i love the word that god gives him the word is recover all god has a plan to restore and recover all in your life. And you know, sometimes God wants you to go after it. We can take the picture down. Thanks, guys. God wants you to go after it. Sometimes he's like, listen, yes, go after it. I want you to pursue. I want you to walk in your authority, and I want you to take it, and you'll recover all. And then there's other times you get the word of the Lord, and it stands still. Like Jehoshaphat, if you read that story, God says, stand still, worship me, and I'm going to win the battle for you. See, sometimes he wants you to pursue because he's teaching you to walk in your authority. And then other times he's acting like your daddy. And he's like, just sit here right now. I'm going to be your dad. I'm going to be your good father, and I'm going to go fight this battle for you, kid. You just stay right here. You just keep worshiping me. I got you. And then other times he's like, kiddo, all right, this is on you. Let's see what you got. You got Jesus' name. Come on. I'm with you. Let's go. Stand up. Walk in your authority. Take it. Take it. You're going to pursue. You're going to recover all. I don't know what recover all looks like in your life. I don't know what it means, what it's going to look like for restoration in your life. Or the best is yet to come in your life. Now, no. Just as as I said those words, some of you were like thinking back on the best day in your in your life, and projecting that for your future, like that's what it's going to be like, my best day. No. You can't even fathom what the best day looks like, because God doesn't do the same old, same old. He does better than, exceedingly, abundantly above than. So you have to learn to dream bigger, think bigger, don't define God. You just have to lean into him. You have to trust him that, God, you are good, that you are faithful, and that as I lean into you, God, you are restoring. I am recovering, and the best is yet to come. God, you are restoring. I am recovering, and the best is yet to come. Can you say that? God is restoring. I am recovering. And the best is yet to come. Now say it like you believe it. God is restoring. I am recovering. And the best is yet to come. Thank you, Jesus, we worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father God, for who you are and your goodness, God, we receive it, Father. We thank you that you're with us always, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Even when we can't see it, Lord, we know that you're working. So God, we choose to focus on you, Father. We repent for ever having those thoughts, those negative thoughts that doubt your character, God. We take it off the, off the trial that we've put it on, God, and we say that you are good, you are faithful, you are loyal, and that you are making a way where there seems to be no way, and that you will restore to us what the devil has stolen, that you will bring restoration, that you are bringing the healing, Father, that you are bringing the recovery in Jesus' name, that you are bringing the new life, the best is yet to come. Father, we receive it right now in Jesus' name. We receive everything that you've got for us, God, and we refuse to believe the lies of the devil, we refuse to believe those thoughts that he puts in our head, God. We will shut him up and shut him down, and we choose you, Jesus. We choose you. We say you are good, you are faithful, and you are the one that will recover all for us in Jesus' name. Now give him praise, Jesus. Give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's just go ahead and stand this morning. We'll call our ministry team forward. If you need prayer for anything this morning, uh, if you want us to stand with you in prayer for whatever it might be, uh, healing finances, uh, anything that you need prayer for uh, that we, you want us to believe with you, then come on down. If you want to rededicate your life to the Lord and begin to serve Him, come on down as well. Come forward. If you want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by evidence of praying in tongues, that's your gift as well. Come forward. Um, otherwise, have an awesome, awesome Sunday. Invite somebody for next Sunday for Prophet Ed Trout. It's going to be powerful. And kick the devil in the teeth this week.